Welcome to a post 4th of July episode of Backlash Podcast. I say post because you'll listen to it after the 4th of July, but it's actually Friday night, June 30th. And since we are under the gun because we all have things we want to do over the holiday, we have um, Gavin Falk, who is, I think, Gavin, I'm not sure if he's quite ready to let the cat out of the bag. I think he's going to dabble in a little bit of guiding, but you might know him from St. Croix Rods. Chase Gibson has made the trip over from West Virginia to hang out at the Hoppy Compound for the summer. And then, of course, we have our co-host, Brad Hoppy, Muskie Mayhem Tackle. Guys, what are we even going to talk about tonight? Like, I think this is kind of, I wouldn't say this is the last minute, but our planning on this one is very terrible. It might be terrible, but you know what? We uh, we got a good crew here, and I think uh, we'll we'll figure something out. We'll do a little roundtable type discussion. You know, by the end of this thing, Brad, it's going to feel like old school backlash podcast where we didn't start hitting the record button until midnight. Well, I don't know if it's that late, but I mean, we can push it a little longer if you want. Well, if we just jabber jaw like we were just doing for the last forty five minutes, we can push this thing all the way out. <laughs> I'm guessing your family's kind of waiting for you, Jeff. So maybe we should get the show on the road. Yeah, they had a few things they were hoping we could get done tonight yet, so we could uh, hit the road and you know hang out up north this weekend. But in the meantime, well, I'm sure we'll come up with something. But I, I do want to start this off because you know since we have Gavin on from St. Croix Rods, so Gavin, uh, let's just go down this road for a minute. St. Croix has got a uh, very large selection in the Legend Tournament Series. And some of the rods I carry in stock, but I've also thought to myself, hmm, I wonder what kind of application we would use this rod for. One of them I sold recently was a twitch stick. It's a 7 foot uh, 10 or 9 or whatever I believe it is, and it's a medium action rod. And I'm like, I've never owned a medium action rod for anything muskie related. Can you tell me what the thought process was behind that rod? Yeah, so I think that kind of generated working with some of our our pro staffs that had a few years behind them. Um, they wanted a rod that could deflect enough to cast some lighter lures and work some smaller twitch bait. So that 710 medium fast rod that is called the twitch stick was actually developed for some very small top waters like the Lake X Little Bastard, Cinch Phantoms, smaller crankbaits, um, anything like that. And the, the, like I said, the precedence behind that was so the blank deflects in the tip deep enough to where you can actually get decent casting distance and then have just that right amount of tip deflection to work the baits properly. I can tell you this, Jeff. It is a rod that works out really, really well for my daughter. She's 12 years old. She can pretty much cast almost any bait with it. it it's pretty remarkable. I know that couple of weeks ago i had her out throwing a bondi um wobbler and i mean that thing will sail like none other i let chase talk here in a second but throwing flukes things like that you know when you're twitching that little fluke it's remarkable what that rod can actually do well that's interesting one one quick comment you know when we have gavin on the podcast he seems far too professional for this uh, platform just so you know like he's very precise, has very like almost technical answers. It's it like I said, it takes the professionalism to a higher level here. I think that's because you're used to like people like me and Brad. Oh, absolutely, yeah, hundred percent. We're both baked in the sun, and we uh, we hard, don't have many brain cells left because of the sun. Yeah, hard boiled brains. Gavin's an engineer. He kind of makes us look bad. 
Exactly. <laughs> well, Brad, when you said that Chase was going to take over on the microphone, I'm like, oh, great. Here we go. And we just had a really high professional level with Gavin, and we're going to drop that far. Unreal. All right. Listeners, turn your subtitles on. um that rod is actually the only rod that i use that is probably it really is the only rod that i actually use in my lineup of rods that is less than nine foot most people know me and when they talk to me about using or what rods i use i don't use anything less than nine foot and the biggest reason of that is just because I'm a bit taller of a guy, so I don't like to bend down to my figure eights. And I always just five seven. I'm five uh, eight. Yeah. Okay. I just had a growth spurt last week. Um, But anyways, that little rod right there, um, I used it a lot this spring, and I really, really liked it for my uh, pre-spawn fishing down south. So I'm usually throwing um, rattle traps, J 13s, and even smaller glide baits, like a, uh, a six inch phantom. Exactly. Like Gavin said, that rod is phenomenal for that. Um, and, uh, like a five inch Narcan, that's another little glide bait that I throw a lot and really like, but another, what he said too, that I used a lot this spring was for top water, small top waters. Um, I was throwing a very small, the little creeper. Um, I can't remember who makes, who's that monster lures. It was monster lures back in the day. Yeah. No, they don't make them anymore, but a little tiny creeper. Uh, the little bastard from Lake X and a lot of buzz baits. I, I throw a lot of buzz baits on it. And buzz baits are generally harder to throw with musky rods because they catch so much air. Well, that little rod has the perfect tip to really throw that little uh, buzz bait out there without catching too much wind. So I got a uh, Tranks 300 high gear with it, and that just fits perfectly in your hand with, that, uh, with the grass. So I really, really like that rod for my smaller stuff. It's amazing because it's almost like geared towards a bass side. Oh, it feels like you're bass fishing the whole time you got it. Yeah. When you catch one, it's a blast because it's like fighting them on a bass rod. It truly is, yeah. Well, let me ask you this. When you guys are, you know, when you have a setup like that, do you downsize the 65-pound test or are you still staying at 80? Uh, my 300 tranks, I generally run 65-pound test just because nine times out of ten when I'm throwing that, those little crankbaits, like a J13, I'm sure some of the listeners know what that is. That is like the most dead action crankbait ever. The thing looks like a stick coming through the water. They barely wiggle, but they're so good in, in pre-spawn. When it, right when that water, if you do freeze up, right when it defaws or just less than 45 degree water temps, that little bait is awesome. So I do use a 65-pound braid and a really short i would say a six to a seven inch uh little tiny wire leader and a small stay lock that's generally what i use with that just because it adds action to that crankbait and the same with the little bastard because the little bastard um it's not i wouldn't say it's as buoyant as a, as a fat bastard obviously but the problem that you have with it that i noticed when i first got them is when you're trying to throw it on your hundred pound Cortland and your big giants uh wire leader the the bait doesn't want to float so you have like a sag in your line the 65 pound braid and the smaller lighter leader definitely helps that bait stay on the surface a little bit better really pop well if anybody is looking for that rod we definitely have those available as we do an entire selection of st Croix rods i think we're out of only a couple but you know if you're looking for like the uh, blade master 2 as chase was talking about that's a bigger rod that he likes and then the blue ox those have been both hard-to-find rods. We have those available at uh, TeamRhinoOutdoors.com. Shameless plug. So anyways, but now, Chase, you know, we'll get back to you now. 
What are you doing up at uh, Minnesota for this summer? Are you guiding? Are you building boards? Like, what's going on with you? Well, the, uh, the building the boards is really taking over my guide career. So mainly building boards and dealing with Brad, um, trying to film some stuff. But mainly building boards up here. I just got the whole shop moved from West Virginia to here. Um, I just got my first load of plastic there yesterday, I believe. So now I can really start cranking them out and it'd be nice now without I got Brad to help me instead of doing it all on the own. But the transition kind of was not fun, but it, it happened and I'm back up and running now. So everything will be stocked up. You'll be stocked up. Brad will be stocked up shortly. So it'll be good for everybody. You said Brad helping. What is that? You know, what does he uh, charge you for that service? Is that free or... I just have to buy him like a cheeseburger every once in a while and uh, a can of Copenhagen, and then he's perfect. Well, that's not bad. That's what I do with my nine-year-old minus the Copenhagen, just cheeseburgers. <laughs> I'm glad you clarified that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he runs on cheeseburgers, plain. Nothing on him, though. No ketchup, no nothing. Yeah, but I did I did get to do a little bit of guiding this year. Um, I didn't do anything on my home water, but I did about – nine to ten days over in ohio like i did last year just a little bit shorter of a period and a rod that i that a lot of my clients used for the majority of the time i was there was a was the blue oxy just talked about and that rod is a very very good rod for throwing throwing rubber i don't really throw like a pounder size on it that much you can but i really like it for like mag dogs uh regular medusas anything like that um it's even a good rod for uh, a grenade which we've got a couple fish on grenades over there um, during my time there, but very good rod. Everyone that gets in the boat likes that grasp. It's pretty funny. Everybody looks at it and is like, yeah, I don't think I like that thing. They're, they're all, everyone's scared to use it, you know? And once they get it and use it for about 30 minutes, they're like, okay, this, I have to get a rod that has this grasp on it. And it's, it's pretty remarkable, really, because I was in the same boat and I got those things. I was like, yeah, I'm not going to like that. But now I want on those on every single rod I have. So, Chase, you know, you, you spent 10 days guiding in Ohio. Let's talk a little bit more in depth about Ohio. Yeah, um, Ohio is a, is a phenomenal fishery. I don't get to fish it as much as I like um, just because of time and my schedule. But when I get over there, I have a lot of fun. They have a very phenomenal stocking program in Ohio. Um, I'm pretty sure just about every lake that gets stocked over there is one fish per acre every single year. A lot of guys don't go to Ohio because they don't think there's big fish there, but there are big fish there. There may not be as many 50 inches as there is in Minnesota or back down in West Virginia, but there is a lot, a lot of fish that are in that 45 to 48 inch range, I would say. And then there's a handful of nice, big, fat 50 inches. And when you get one, they're huge. Um, this year, um, I actually got to, well, I didn't, a client of mine, Norman Potter, he ended up catching a 51 and three quarter my second day there, which I was stoked because that's what I wanted to get out of Ohio was a 50 incher. And second day in, I had him chucking a big black pounder and Rod just loaded up and we got it. It was a 51 and three quarter. And I think that day we got six or seven. We got a 46 and a half, 47, 44 and a half. So a lot of really quality fish and lots of fish so you have a good chance at mid 40s upper 40s um you do have a good chance at, at 50 inches they don't come super often but they're definitely there and then just tons of fish and they're the lakes are very fun to fish a lot of them are 
you know, Chase, you've been fishing Ohio for quite a few years, but if you think about it, number one, I, I would like you to talk about some of the guys that guide there full time. And then second of all, the opportunity that it presents. And I always thought, you know, and this goes back to probably 10 years ago when I actually uh, went down to the Ohio show, everybody talks about trolling but you're, you're primarily casting and let's talk a little bit about the differences there. Yeah. As far as guiding goes there, um, obviously I'm not there full time. The guy that I would recommend hundred percent would be Chad Harmon. Uh, extremely nice dude. We were on the water a lot together as like, I'd be out there guiding. He was guiding too. We shared some information and, uh, it was just good to have a dude out there with you. You know, if you're getting a little bit of a struggle or something or he is, we could help each other out. So he does full-time guide now. He does, I think, March through December, um, catches a pile of fish every year. So definitely recommend Chad Harmon. As far as the casting and trolling thing, I think the biggest reason that the trolling is so big in Ohio is, one, they don't have crazy structure to get snagged on. So it's fairly easy to troll. I'm not going to say it's fairly easy to troll and just go catch a bunch of fish, but it's easy to troll because you're not getting snagged constantly like you would on my lakes where I've got standing timber everywhere, stumps and everything. So the trolling aspect can be very good, but what I've always done is cast. And just that's just because I like to cast more than troll. And the casting bite there is extremely good. Um, right before that water gets hot, you know, like in that 70 plus, 70 to 77 range, a lot of those fish pull out and they get in the open water or on deep structure. And they are very... They really, really, really like to eat rubber. Um, I don't know how, uh, any other way to explain it. They absolutely hammer the bait, and half, half the time the bait's completely gone. It's like they've never seen it before. So I think it's, uh, it's, I think it's something that's definitely starting to change in Ohio, that there's a lot of uh, guys gearing more toward casting rubber on those fish during that time frame compared to normal or compared to previous years. Trolling bite's still really good, but uh, a lot of times when those guys were trolling, around me when i was casting they would get three or four a day and when they would get three or four a day trolling i would get eight to ten a day casting and i think that's just because i can when that window opens up me or my clients can get our bait back in the water a lot quicker than they can get all the rods back out so it's uh trolling can be really good there but i definitely prefer to cast any kind of rubber bait i mean mag mag dog's usually my favorite over there for whatever reason a uh, mag dog, a dying dog, and color-wise, it's just black, white, and uh, that glitter walleye dying dog last year was absolutely insane. So definitely uh, definitely a good casting bite out there for you guys to try if you want to. With a little bit of luck, we might actually see that glitter walleye dying dog back in within the next month, I would say. It's been out of stock pretty much since uh, the release of a couple episodes earlier this winter. Yeah. Yeah. The crazy thing there, Jeff, is um, you told us to quit throwing it. So we kind of like them burn pile. We're, we're trying a couple other colors now, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that, that's a go-to color that Chase has used for years and for good reason. Right. I mean, it, it always works. Yeah. The, the glitter walleye, when I was up on West branch, that's where I did the guiding last year. There wasn't another collar that could touch that glitter walleye for whatever reason, probably because I threw it mostly. But I did do really well on uh, ice cold perch, and I've done good on ice cold perch in literally every everywhere I've went. That's a, my probably my second favorite when it comes to uh, Ohio is the ice cold perch. 
And then after that, I just say just a standard white, just a standard white dying dog and is very hard to beat. But Glitter Walleye is definitely number one. Number two is Frozen Perch, no doubt. You know, the funny thing, Jeff, is that um, if you talk about Chase Gibson, it's about dying dogs. But the other bait that he probably uh, isn't known for is tubes red october has uh changed his whole world too so we'll let him talk about that a little bit as well well yeah well, hold on we'll let him talk about tubes in one second before we get too far off let's talk about dying dogs for a second what's your what's your setup like you know what type of rod are you throwing this thing on what, you know how do you work them back because i think a lot of people are like they see it but they don't understand it and they kind of like well what's this thing supposed to do and they're, they're a little bit confused by it and they also think that it's just too big that you know most muskies are, aren't going to hit it, which obviously isn't true, but let's go a little farther in the dying dog thing before we start ramping up on tubes. So before I let Chase talk, I will honestly say that I did not like the dying dog. Greg Thomas developed that and basically gave it to Brad Rue. I'll tell you right now, I, I'm like, yeah, whatever. It's kind of a turd, right? It, it's not the bait that I want to throw. Once I started fishing with Chase, I soon realized that, I mean, it's a versatile tool that every angler should have in the boat, and we'll let Chase take it from there. I don't know what started the dying dog. I don't remember, but it was probably, I don't know, six, seven years ago, I would say. I don't know. I got one, and I started throwing it. And I think, actually, my dad was the first one to ever hook a fish on it. I remember he hooked a nice probably in upper 40s in the timber one day twitching it and after that that just became a confidence bait for us as i started using it i started dialing in a better uh retrieve and i've definitely had since the shows for sure are the mayhem since thousand cast episodes i've had tons of people reach out asking me what i'm talking about when i'm talking about the slack line pop or how i work a dying dog and i don't work it the same every way but i do work it pretty much um the same technique maybe just speed is the difference so what I mean by the slack line, I'm not talking about that you've got five feet of slack in your line, you're just popping and it's not moving. You gotta move the bait, but I always tell all my clients when they get in the boat and I haven't thrown a dying dog, point your rod tip, the bait hits the water, point your rod tip right at the bait. Pull probably two feet, two and a half feet, nice and really sharp. You want a really quick pop. And then, so you have that, so now there's slack in your line. So now you reel up just maybe two cranks, um, you don't want to reel up to where your line is tight with a bait again. And you want to reel up about three quarters of your slack, I would say. Once you get that three quarters popped back up or reeled in, you pop it again. Just a nice hard pop. And when you get that down, and as throughout the day, when I get them getting that cadence down good, then I tell them, okay, now I add a double pop into it now. Or add a, a triple pop. Just make it erratic. So what that does is when you do that sharp pop, that bait dives down and then you give it that pause at the end of your pull just for a second that makes that bait's head dig down deeper so it makes it turn more vertical i would say rather than horizontal and that's what triggers bites and another thing to that is is when i first started using them i did a long pull just like you would with like a do or a, a bulldog and then i realized i was losing all these fish and i never knew why and over the years, I've started to learn why. And the reason that is, is when you're pulling that bait straight, that bait on a tight line, when you're pulling it in tight on a tight line, that bait comes in straight through the water. So it's, it's, uh, it's parallel with the water's surface. 
So if you give it that slack, it becomes perpendicular with the water surface. And for whatever reason, when that bait, when you get that bait to dive down like that, your hookup percentage goes way up for whatever reason. That's just, they, they eat it better that way. And that is how I work it. That, that is exactly how I work it. I do a nice, sharp two to three foot pop, reel your slack up just three quarters of the way and pop it again. And then once you get that down good, then you start doing uh, more erratic stuff. But you'll, you'll notice when you pull it both sides, you pull it nice, long, straight pull, that tail just barely um, wiggles. And then if you do that real sharp, quick pop, that bait really kicks, that tail super kicks. And then you, then you start working on your slack line to get it to dive down just a little bit better. If you wanted to get deeper, you put an ounce and a half weight on it. That's all you got to do. And you do the exact same retrieve, but now your bait's running at 10 to 12 instead of 6 to 8. And that, that hop will change when you add that weight. Yeah, I mean, it, it's all about cadence, and that's the beauty of uh, what Chase is able to do with that. What rods are you using on Chase when you're, when you're working that bait? That Blue Ox is a very good rod for that bait. It's a perfect blank for it because it's got a little bit of a fast tip, but still got backbone to it. So you can really give it that hard pop that you need, but that little fast tip kind of keeps your slack tight, I would say. It's hard to explain without showing someone, but that, that's the rod that I typically throw a dime dog on is that, is that uh, Blue Ox. How about uh, leader? Are you using fluorocarbon, solid wire? What's the story so, there? I, I don't use anything but solid wire anymore. Um, back when I got into jigging big time, um, I was jigging the L-tail, which is a smaller, a smaller rubber bait that a buddy of mine in West Virginia makes. And as I was jigging that with fluorocarbon leader, I mean, I had, I don't know what it was, 150, 200 pound fluorocarbon. I can't remember now. I had multiple fish swallow that bait and it didn't happen very often, but every once in a while you'd look at your leader and your leader's almost cut in half. So I just decided that I'm quit taking chances. I use a, I don't even know what pound is it. What pound is it? Do you know? 100 pound, 120 yeah. pound. 100, 120 pound, 12 inch leader, uh, steel leader, just a solid strand, stay lock and a swivel. You got to have that swivel because if you don't, um, well, I, I prefer the swivel. If I don't have the swivel, then I have spinning on your, on your line. Your line gets all wound up and I don't like that. So I use a swivel no matter what, but just a solid 12, 10 to 12 inch, uh, strand of, of wire. I've never been anywhere where I think that they, uh, they notice that wire and don't eat it because it's a wire leader. I don't think that's a thing. Muskies are very, very stupid when they want to be. And I think everyone in the industry makes them as smart as we want to make them. I don't think they're very smart fish. I think I'm, I can, uh, they can definitely beat me on the water, but mo more, more often than not, I can uh, use more brain power than a muskie can. So I can tend to trick them. That's how I look at that. I would agree 100% with Chase. And I I'm telling you, the last 15 years or so, I don't even look at floral carbon. I, I the solid wire is the way to go. All right. And all Brad brought up red October tubes and you know, I'll shamelessly plug this. By the time you hear this episode, we should hopefully be fairly stocked up on red October tubes. And I think we'll probably have as big a color selection as anybody in the musky industry. But, uh, so like I said, there's my, there's my plug. Check out team outdoors.com for your red October needs. But that's not why we brought up the topic. The topic is tubes because, uh, tubes have become, I would say unbelievably popular in probably the last three years for sure. I've probably mentioned it before. I fish with Steve Jensen quite a bit up in Hayward. He's been a tube guy for a long time. He's been telling me tube, tube, tubes forever. 
the weird thing about them is every time I fish with them and we fish tubes, I think they look terrible in the water. They don't do that much. The tentacles aren't flailing all over the place. I call them a wet sock, but yet they catch plenty of muskies. So, Chase, why don't you shed... Why don't you shed a little light on this? What's the story with tubes? Why are they so special? And how do you work them? And what kind of rods are you using for those? So, Jeff, I got to throw one thing in there first. Okay. So, if you go back many, many years, Al Winner, he, I'll never forget this. He says, I got two words for you, folks tube jig. And the reason he said that is because every species of freshwater fish will eat a tube jig, right? And Red October hit, I mean, they hit the mark when they uh, came out with what they have. It's another bait that I'll be honest, I have not thrown it enough until I met Chase. Chase kind of has convinced me to kind of go outside the box. And Red October provides just a ton of different options when it comes to jigs or tube jigs. I don't know. It, it kind of uh, lit my whole world when I when I see what Chase has done with these different baits. So we'll let Chase take the wheel here. But honestly, um, tubes are, are are really really effective, and I think that we all have to be aware of what they can actually take, do on the water. Yeah, they. Uh, it's kind of funny. I got uh, two buddies from West Virginia, Danny Haddix and Troy Radcliffe. Anyone in West Virginia, you probably know them because those two are probably the best sticks in the state. They'll they'll say they're not, but I promise you they are. Um, I learned a lot back in the day just by staring at them when they're on the water. I was one of those guys for sure, but I was 10 years old, so give me a break. But I definitely watched those guys constantly, how they fished, where they fished, what they fished with to learn from them. And I've, I give them credit all the time. I, I wouldn't be where I'm at now if it wasn't for me picking up on a few things from them. But those guys right there catch more fish on tubes than anyone I know. And, like, it is stupid. It could be a day where they're just absolutely hammering something completely opposite of a tube. And they'll put a tube on and they'll catch fish. And they've, they've outfished me multiple times and multiple trips where they're just throwing tubes. And I finally said it this year. I mean, I've thrown them forever. Um, but this year I really, really started throwing them. And I will say this, most guys that are throwing tubes, if you see on social media or anything like that, almost everybody's throwing the mid-depth tube rig. And the reason that is is because it's basically, it's basically just like any rubber bait out there. Now, it's got its little, little tricks that's different, but it's easy. You throw it out, you pull it in, you can't fish it wrong, okay? What I'm mainly using is a shallow rig, and the shallow rig is definitely trickier. Not everybody can use them. It's not something, I mean, you can pick it up and you throw it out there and you pull it in and you catch a fish, right? But there's definitely a trick to throw on a tube on a shallow rig. And that one's hard to explain because it's, I, I don't have a perfect cadence with it, I wouldn't say, but it's, it's very erratic. So I'm doing sharp, a sharp pull, three big long ones, and then a really sharp short one. And it's just something that takes practice. That is not a bait that I guide with very often on the shallow rig just because it, it takes a little bit of time to get it down perfect. But once you get that thing down, you can get those tubes going left, right, down, up, anywhere you want them to. And uh, they're, they're phenomenal. Why they catch fish, I don't know, because it's the same thing that you just said, Jeff. It doesn't have the big giant tails hanging off of it, pushing a bunch of water. But I think that's why they work so well. I think that's why they trick big fish because they're supernatural. Um, if you look at a fish swim through the water, it doesn't have a ton of tails just pushing out all this water. Um, it's just barely kicking its back little t 
tail fins. So a tube does that. It's I think it's the most natural rubber presentation you can have. Um, and it, that those things catch some fish, that's for sure. But I, I like the the uh, the shallow rig, no doubt. Um, if the fish are say fifteen to twenty feet deep, I'll probably put on a mid depth. But what I started doing last year, um, because the mid depth is a completely different style of fishing than the shallow rig. Um, and the, why that is, is because the mid depth is just hopping. It's just going up and down like a regular rubber bait would do. So when I was doing my guiding last year, those fish see a lot of tubes, mid depth tubes up there. So I put a shallow rig on and I put an ounce and a half weight on the middle hook hanger. So now I'm getting the same action that a shallow rig tube does, but now I'm getting it down there 15 feet where those fish can eat it and see it. So my, my, I'm still throwing a tube just like everyone else, but my tube is working completely different than everyone else's. And they probably have never seen a bait down there that deep doing that. Cause there's really nothing that, that will do that at that depth, as far as going left to right, just real erratic stuff. So that, that was a huge thing for me is, uh, using the shallow rig, no matter what, and adding weight to that middle hook hanger, um, to get it deeper if I wanted to, but here lately, pretty much all spring, I just been using just a regular old, uh, shallow rig. And then it's put some really nice fish in my boat this year so far. So hit it on the head when he said it isn't a true cadence, right? You're not like it's not like working glide bait where you're boom, 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 or boom, 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 boom. It's erratic and you're making that bait do different things. So you know, the beauty of some of those tubes and some of the different rigs that you can put in those tubes is you will get that vertical change, but you're going to get the side-to-side -side change as well. Well, then let me ask you guys, have you guys used their, the hybrid rig that he came out with? Uh, I'm guessing this is probably going on like season number two with it or so roughly because it's, it's kind of got the weight distribution like a shallow rig, but it's got more weight on it. So it's supposed to get deeper like you were talking about, Chase, and it is supposed to get you a little bit more of that side-to-side -side action too. Yeah, I have, I got a couple off market to show the, the heavier ones like you're talking about. And honestly, I haven't really thrown them a whole lot because, well, one, I didn't fish that much this year because of buying musky bumper. I'm so busy with it. But when I did go fishing, um, that was a lot in, I don't know, February, I caught some fish on a tube. So that was all slow, shallow water stuff. Um, May, I got out in May and the fish were like less than like six foot of water. And I got a, uh, that was with, Brad was actually with me on that one. I got a 52 on a gold member 10 inch shallow rig. So I haven't got to, to play with the uh, hybrid yet that the one, the rig that you're talking about, but I think that would be good. I actually have some rigged up right now. I just haven't got to fish much since I've been here uh, to test them out yet. And then did you answer what rod you're using for, for tubes? I didn't, but the, honestly, the blue ox, that's the same thing. It's going to be the same style of fishing as that dying dog. Well, you know, I think, uh, we should give Gavin a shot here. You know, Gavin, why don't you jump in a little bit? Let's talk about fishing so far this season. Um, you know, how are, how are things going for you on the water? It's been tough. I'd say it's probably for me, it's been the toughest year it's been since I can remember. I know, uh, there's a lot of guides up by us catching fish, but I'm kind of hearing the same thing. It's been a pretty tough year in Northern Wisconsin, but we're still getting those days, Jeff, where we're seeing quite a few fish, but it's few and far in between like previous years. So I'm guessing eventually the, the fishing will get better for me, but uh, so far it's just been, been a tough year. 
Yeah, it's interesting. I hear that from, yeah, I hear it from some guys that it's been a little bit tougher, but then I also hear from some that are saying, yeah, they're having a really good year. You know, I was just talking to Steve the other day. He, he contacted me because hadn't talked to him in about a month or whatever, probably since musky season. And he said, yeah, it's been really, you know, pretty consistent for him. So he's been doing pretty well. And I know that like in the Southern part of the state, I talked to Jeff Hansen pretty often and he's had a stretch here recently where he's been probably putting four fish in the net every single day. So for him, it's, he said the overall his numbers are still down slightly from the year, but he's like some of it's, you know, trip related. He's like, I've been fishing for Northerns cause customers want to just catch fish. So, um, they didn't want to necessarily musky fish. So it takes my numbers on, on musky down a little bit, but so far it's been, yeah, like I said, a little up and down as far as that goes. So it'll be interesting to see how that, how that turns out this season, how it stabilizes. Have you been on the water in Northern Wisconsin in the past few days? I'm just curious what water temperatures are and Brad, I'm sure you can kind of clue us in on Minnesota here in a minute. Yeah. So I was actually out on the water on Thursday. Um, it started out at 70 degrees and by the end of the day, it was up to 75 already. Um, I think that's probably one of the big hurdles we've been trying to get over up by us is it, it started off great and it jumped up to 80 degrees in a week or two. Uh, we kind of had that for a few days and then it bottomed back down to 68. So the water temps have been kind of all over the place. Um, so I don't, I'm sure the fish really don't know what to do with that. Brad, what are you seeing? Well, like Gavin, I mean, the water temps actually climbed right up there. You know, they're 78, 79. Um, they're pushing, but keep in mind that that's the surface, right? And, you know, fortunately for all of us, it changed really quick. We had uh, a little bit of overcast and we had a bunch of wind and boom, it dropped right back down in the upper sixties, which is normal. So, um, right now, you know, yesterday I was on the water. I mean, we're recording this on Friday night, Thursday, it was 72 is kind of the high on the, on the surface temp. So by rights, I would say we're pretty normal, but a lot of different things have happened and weather's number one when it comes to muskies. And so if you look at what the weather has done this spring, it's been pretty remarkable and wild if you really think about it, because we've had a bunch of different changes, right? And so, you know, if you start looking at Southern muskies, whether it be Illinois, Ohio, Kentucky, wherever it might be, it, it started out really solid. Then we had like a weak point. And then it stabilized and everything kind of went back into its normal gear. So if you're looking at different people fishing across the country, I think the northern portion, you know, we're a month into this whole thing, month, maybe five weeks. Uh, it's stabilizing and things start going right back into the normal patterns. And unfortunately, normal was not part of the first month. So I think we're, we're going to be okay here. Just let it kind of mellow out, and things are going to go right back to the way they usually are. Yeah, I think it seems like we, we've had a lot less weather systems move through this year, which... Absolutely. I mean, especially last year, definitely spiked some action. Um, and I always look forward to that. So having a lack of that definitely seemed like it cut those windows way down. Let me ask you guys this. Did uh, did you guys get a ton of smoke there, like, from the Canadian fires? I think it was a little bit off and on. Um, I think one or two days last week it was pretty heavy, but for the most part it's been fairly clear. 
So it's crazy, as I'm sure some of the listeners are probably dealing with that too. But West Virginia um, this spring, this is probably the latest I've ever seen fishable water temperatures since I'd say at least three to four years. Um, usually we're we're breaking that 80 degree mark surface temp and then the last week of May and then the first week of June, it's 100% too hot to fish. This year, Troy and Danny, my buddies that I was talking about earlier, they actually were out yesterday and the water temps were just getting hot. So they, they saw surface temps in the 78 to 80, depending on where they were. So that's probably the last trip I would say, but I think what saved us, cause it wasn't really much colder than it normally is this time of year, but what saved us is the smoke was extremely bad down there by us. So you could probably only see maybe two miles down the road on the highway if you're looking. And that we had a couple, we had like a week period that was like 80, 85 degrees every single day, no wind, just bright skies. And I thought for sure that was going to just absolutely plummet our uh, water temps up to 80 degrees and it didn't. And it, that week it was extremely hazy. It, it cuts that sunlight down and does not let things warm up very quickly. So that was a positive from that, those, those, that smoke was it kept our water temps cool down there this year. I think they're pretty much done now um, down in my neck of the woods, but um, it, it kept it cool for a month longer than it normally does. And that's the only thing I can think is, is that from that smoke. I would agree with that, Chase, 100%. I mean, I've seen it two years ago, I yeah. think. Um, we dealt with some really, really thick smoke. And honestly, I mean, it smelled like throughout the whole day, you could like think somebody was burning a, a campfire on shoreline. We could see maybe 200 yards. I mean, it, it's amazing that smoke will, will cut down the power of the sun. And we've had it here as well. I know Gavin had talked about it a, a couple days ago up in northern Wisconsin. He was dealing with the smoke. And that kind of, I mean, it's almost like a fog. Mm-hmm. It really, really beats up the sun and, and doesn't let that sun kind of cook the water. Yeah, it's unbelievable. I mean, it's just crazy all the way down to West Virginia. We're dealing with it. I've never seen anything like that in my life. And it was cool. I, of course, that was the year or this year. I, I don't fish much. <laughs> I pretty much after three years ago, I kind of just quit fishing. Um started playing on head north in the end of beginning of june the whole month of june and this year i did and i kind of wish i didn't um there's because that's a great time of year to get some big fish down south and i didn't i haven't got to uh to capitalize on it and this year i could have but i was uh in ohio and then i came up here but i was too busy anyways so it doesn't really matter but a couple of my buddies got on it uh troy and danny they got some big fish uh, my dad ended up getting Two fifty. Well, he got a fifty when I was there, and he got another fifty. I don't know, probably a week, two weeks ago. So big fish went. It was good, really good thing for us. Yeah, the whole smoke thing is kind of strange. We've been dealing with it a lot over here by us. Like, in fact, one of my kids' baseball games got canceled on Tuesday because of smoke. I didn't think that you could have that happen in you know Wisconsin, but apparently you can. All right, well, guys, you know we're uh, forty minutes into this podcast or so. Let's. Uh, anybody got another topic we want to jump onto in our little roundtable? Yeah, Jeff. Um, one thing I've noticed a ton with with a lot of uh, people reaching out to me and asking me how to do this, how to do that, how to put a bite together and all that. And I think I surprise a lot of people when they get in the boat with me as far as guiding, um, because I am I'm laid back, meaning that I'm not worried about fishing that much. And what I mean by that is I'm not worried about when the majors, when the minors are, what moon it is, or 
how deep the fish are sitting or what bait fish are spawning and all this stuff. And all that stuff does help. And the guys that really pay attention to that stuff, I think they literally gain confidence from that stuff and it makes them catch fish. I don't think you need to do that. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing to do that, but I definitely go out there every day and just fish. You know, I, I don't worry about, Oh man, it's the full moon this weekend. They're not going to bite. Oh, they're it's post front. They're not going to bite this today, but I'm still going to go fishing. Okay. Well, if that's already in your head, you shouldn't go fishing. If you think that you're going to catch a fish every time you go out, more than likely you're going to. I have tons of clients that, that have struggled with the confidence thing. And I just tell them, put a bait on you have confidence with. I don't care if you read in a musky hunter magazine 10 years ago that a double cowgirl won't work in March on 50 degree water temps. But that's when you have confidence in, you can go out there and catch a fish on it. You can go catch them on anything you want to, any time of year, any structure, whatever it is, as long as you got confidence in it. I promise you that. It's pretty remarkable. All it is is a mental game. And I don't ever care if i'm going to catch a fish or catch a big fish or anything they just fall in the boat sometimes it's stupid but i just tell every one of my clients when they first get in the boat we're going fishing we're going to go um do this do that if that doesn't work we're going to go do other things and a lot of people look at me like wow this guy doesn't have any idea what he's doing but by the end of the day we've got some fish doing whatever i've decided to do that day i like to change it up i like to use um a ton of different baits as many of you have probably seen on the front deck of brad's boat and my boat I, I change all the time it's not for lack of confidence it's because i get bored of things i'll throw this and i'm like man that looks really good and i'll throw it for an hour and i'm like ah, i'm bored of that i'm gonna put this on and try to catch one on this or sometimes i've done this a bunch i'll catch a fish two or three fish on a bait i'm like okay they're eating that now since they're eating that, I got to figure out what else to eat. That way, someday when I'm struggling, I can't get them to eat this anymore. Then I can put this on and catch a fish. So I do that a lot. I play with it. I don't take anything too serious um, when it comes to being on the water. I just go out there and fish as hard as I possibly can and don't get into a big stress attack trying to figure out what you're doing wrong. You're probably not doing anything wrong. The fish just aren't eating. When you hit that window, those fish will eat. I think just keep it super simple is a huge thing for success in, in musky fishing because like i said I, I've, I can't tell you how many times i've had clients get in and they're like so what what times the majors and minors today i i have no idea what time they are and they're like they're just like looking at his buddy like we're just hired a guide and he doesn't even know what the majors and minors are today and that and some of them have even said that to me i'm like dude it, it doesn't matter i said there's two bite windows a day and, and this is what i found since i started going full-time guiding and being on the water a ton no matter what, there's two bite windows a day. Unless it's really tough, then there's one bite window a day. But nine times out of ten, there's two bite windows a day during your daylight period. And they'll either be ten minutes to an hour. An hour is a really good day. That is good conditions. Everything's good is when you get those two hours a day that just fish just eat. But 100%, there's two, two a day. And it's usually, from what I've found, it's usually from like ten to one and i would say three to five is the most consistent two bite windows i've ever found so those times of uh day i'm generally just fishing around where i know there's fish i'm not gonna go fish something random i'm gonna be around those fish from 10 to one and three to five is what i would say and a lot of guys get out there at daylight and they think that fish eat great at daylight and those guys that do that they catch fish at daylight because they have confidence in them but I don't get up that early because I don't want to, and I don't catch fish during the daylight period or during the, yeah, right at daylight.
it's just very odd to me how so many of these guys and people in this industry, they just want to overcomplicate everything. And that's perfectly fine because it works for them. But I do not think you need to. No doubt in my mind, I, I do not think you need to do that stuff. I just go fishing. So I just wanted to talk about that just to kind of newer guys getting in the industry and they're trying to learn as much as they can. I might've just screwed all of your guys' plans up for the weekend, but just go out there and fish, put something on that you think looks good. Catch them. Cause I've had guys come to my lake and, or I'm not going to say my lake, but the lake that I fish and every day and they catch a, bit, a fish on a bait that I have never seen a fish on or anything. And it's just because it's confidence. I mean, it's, I've had it happen multiple, multiple times. I'd like to tell you that you're wrong, but you're right. So it's, it's definitely a confidence thing. You know, much like you said, you know, you, you go out there and you fish and, and you, if you have a plan and if the plan doesn't work, you go change it up. I, I can look back to a story or a time, I guess, where I was on the, on the Wisconsin river and that morning I was struggling. I couldn't find a confidence bait. I didn't feel like anything was right. And there's a, there's a bar right on the, on the lake. So I went in and I had a hamburger and then I came back out and I was like, okay, I'm just going to focus on, uh, on a suic. I'm just going to work the suic and, and I'm going to live or die by it. And I, I felt like I was a lot more dialed in and ended up putting two muskies in the net, had a really nice pike that I caught, had another muskie I lost. So, you know, it was just about, and sometimes that's all it is. It's just a reset too. When you're on the water, just, you know, get out of your own head and, uh, you know, just try to simplify things as much as you can. It's difficult you know, cause we all have lots of different theories and lots of different stuff. And nowadays the comp, uh, the electronics will even complicate things even more, but, uh, you just got to try to keep moving forward. For sure. I mean, it's, it's insane. I mean, ever since I started that mentality, it's my fishing has went so much better. I mean, it's just great. Same thing as tournament. And really what really made me think of it is tournament fishing. Cause I would do so good before, after the tournament, but as soon as I got into that tournament, I started getting stressed out. Okay, I need to go hit this bank from this time to this time with this bait. And then I got to go over here and go over there and go over and do that. I would do that and psych myself out so bad that I would not catch a fish. And it's stupid because I could catch five the day before and the day after. But during that tournament, I would not catch a thing. And it's because I was stressing out, trying to just absolutely catch a fish as hard as I could. And if you do that, you're not going to catch fish. And if you do... You're special because that does not happen very often. You just go out there and fish, you catch them. I think a lot of it, though, comes down to just relaxing and having fun. Yeah. I mean, it's supposed to be fun. The last three days on the water, I can tell you, I had a guy in the boat who was stressed out about catching. Uh, honestly, it's all about just kicking back and having some fun, have some laughs, and, and the things will they'll just come together. It's connect the dots, you know, and it's amazing to me when you have a guy in the boat that's just there to have fun, it happens easy. And when you got that guy that wants to catch, he has to catch, guess what happens? I mean, Chase just said that with tournaments, you feel like you got to catch when you just kick back and you relax, things start happening. Yeah. I think part of that is you're trying different things too, trying different spots. Hopefully you can maybe see something on electronics to give you a little hint on what the fish are doing that day. I mean, we had a tournament not too long ago that we were seeing a few fish and then we were working some deeper weed lines, started seeing some fish on side scan and they're actually on the downwind side, which doesn't always happen, 
but then we started working some spots hard on the, the downwind side. We ended up losing one, and then within a half hour before the tournament ended, we ended up catching one on the downwind side. So we got lucky, and just seeing those little hints or or scenarios how they play out you just never know day to day and it's just picking away and trying to find those little things and not worrying about it just letting it happen to help his argument there is i'm not saying go out there in 100 feet of water and just cast top water because that's what you think's good i mean you can do that you might catch a fish but you still have to put together somewhat of a puzzle that day and it's not I'm just saying I don't get stressed out about the majors, minors, post-front, pre-front, all that junk for the temperature. All There's 80% humidity today, and it's a 65% uh, percent waning crescent moon, so that means that the big ones are going to pull up on this point. Okay, I think you're getting a bit far-fetched there when you start telling me that stuff. But if it works for you, it works for you. That doesn't work for me because I just go out there and fish. Um, Jeff, you kind of said it there. You get kind of – people get – um, messed up looking at their electronics with live scope. Now, I think the reason live scope is, um, so big now and people, so many people hate it and whatever and blah, blah, blah. It's because live scope is very easy to read. When you see a muskie on live scope, you know, it, you see a muskie on side imaging. Sometimes you know it, but half the time you're like, okay, I think that's one you cast over and you might catch it with live scope. You see it and you're like, okay, that's a muskie and you throw over there and you catch it. And not always you catch it, though. That's a lot of people miss. Uh, miss. I don't know. It's true. Yeah, it's true. That's a big word for me. Misconstrue um, that. But where I'm getting at with this is with live scope. I 100% have noticed it and noticed it and noticed. I mean, me and Brad trolling the last three days. We did three days of trolling, not a single rip, and we seen a lot and a lot of fish that just came up and followed the bait and went back down. Well, guess what? I guarantee you if we didn't have live scope, we'd have had the same thing, but we wouldn't have been in such a bad mood because now we know there's fish coming up, sniffing our baits and just swimming off or they're not even moving. Don't even look up at the bait or anything. So if you don't have that, then you're going to fish all day and you're like, yeah, that window is this time. Uh, we'll probably get one then. And you're still confident throughout the whole day. So when you have live scope or if you're good enough with side imaging where you really see the fish constantly and you know everything's a musky, your confidence kind of goes, it's hard to, to have that in between of using that system and, and keeping your confidence high. Cause when you see that many fish, not eat a bait or just follow a bait, you lose your confidence pretty quick. You're thinking, okay, these things aren't eating today, but in reality, they're just not eating right now. They're going to eat here in an hour or during that window that I was talking about. And I do that with clients all the time. When I'm in Ohio, like I said, it's got lots of fish. I'm seeing tons of fish. My clients, they get, they get so in confidence so quickly because I'm like, you just had one follow. You just had one follow. And they're like, what am I doing wrong? I said, you're not. Well, do I need to change a bait? I'm like, no, that thing caught six yesterday. You don't need to change a bait. Well, they're not biting it. I said, just wait. You wait till that window opens and bang, you'll catch a fish. I had a, uh, a younger kid and his mom out. And it was his graduation present to fish with me. Poor kid. But we're out there, and we started at 7, and we're seeing all kinds of fish, just marking them left and right on side imaging, seeing them on live scope. He's getting his bait right on their head and not moving, and he's just getting down and down and down. And they're not musky freshmen, and I'm telling them, you guys just be happy. We're all laughing. Do not get in a bad mood. You get in a bad mood, you're not going to catch my boat, I promise you. 
But if you just stay confident, you're having fun. I said, when that window hits, you'll catch some fish. And from one o'clock to three o'clock, they caught six fish with me. And they had the, that was awesome. They completely forgot about all the fish that would not even look at their bait for six hours on the water until that little window hit and bang, they caught six fish. So that's the type of stuff that I'm talking about when it comes to electronics. You can use it, but if you are a guy that wants to stare at it all day and blah, 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 it's, it's whatever you want to do, but I would highly recommend to try to not let that kill your confidence is just seeing so many fish say no to your bait. Cause it's not, it's probably not your bait. It's probably not your cadence. It's probably that they're just not biting. One more. Gavin, you got one? Good talk about bait angles, I guess. I mean, that's something I always think about. Something I try and get clients or, or anybody I'm taking in my boat, I change up angles throughout the day, uh, just presenting the bait differently in certain spots because um, sometimes that's all it takes to trigger fish. I mean, Deep weed edges are something that's big in Minnesota. It's something that's big in some of the lakes in northern Wisconsin. And, and I definitely have done it in tournaments where I'll actually put the, the front of the boat right on the weed edge. And the, the person in the front will throw right down that weed edge. And the guy in the back's kind of sacrificing himself. But you never know. There might be a fish in open water. But I tell you what, more times than not, if you can present, as Chase was saying, maybe a tube or a suic or whatever right down that weed edge i've had it happen multiple times or just fish come shoot down and hammer a bait so it's things like that uh, maybe working the outside edge of or work yeah working the outside edge of a weed line traditional i've done where i pull the boat right down into the weeds so you can cast out along the, a weed point to bring the bait right into the weeds uh, it doesn't always work but uh, every once in a while you get to where a fish comes flying out of the weeds and just hammers the bait. And most of the time it's a, a, a pretty ferocious strike when that happens. So that's one thing for anglers to consider. The guy in the back of the boat might not always have the best casting opportunity, but um, you definitely provide a, a, a benefit or a, a missed opportunity to the person fishing with you in the front of the boat. It's transitions. It's inside out, outside in. And that's what you're talking about. I mean, it's different angles to how you approach that fish. And and a lot of times that can be the key factor to uh, actually putting a fish in the boat. Absolutely. And that's really not something I see a whole lot. I mean, most of the time when you see two guys on a boat, they're casting right to the weed edge, bringing a bait back out to the boat. And how often do fish see that? All the time. Yep. So it's things like that or, or baits like the grenade, inline spinners, tubes, anything you can drop down that weed edge to, to go from a high point to a low point to give that fish more of a visual uh, look to uh, just cheap on a bait is, is definitely going to provide a higher chance of catching a fish there. A lot of your pressured waters, that, that's what I, I try to I try to teach anyone that's in my boat that's wanting to learn. I mean, most people don't want to learn from me, but if you're trying to learn, I that's what I try to teach people. I don't try to teach them the major binary. You got to fish post front, pre front, just like I'm talking about in my last conversation. I'm trying to teach them exactly what Gavin's talking about. Master your cadence, master your baits, 
and then think outside of the box. Exactly what Gavin's saying. Everybody goes down through there and catch, and they'll catch fish doing that, casting right to the weed edge. But if you put your boat up backwards, you probably will get a, more bites and maybe even bigger bites because those fish see so many baits going one way. And big fish are extremely smart. Um, they're way smarter than your average forty incher. I mean, a forty-five plus is a completely different animal, and a fifty-plus is even more smart. So, anytime that you can get an upper edge on the other anglers that are on the lake, you're going to get bit more often. And I always, always am trying to do weird things and in weird situations. Like most people don't think about throwing rubber in five feet of water. Well, there's plenty of baits out there that are perfect for that. You can throw anything you want in any water column you want. Just because someone said years ago, you got to throw a pounder in open water and on deep weed edges doesn't mean that you can throw, you can't throw a pounder in five foot of cabbage. You can easily do that. Now, I wouldn't recommend putting on a, a normal weighted one and doing it unless you really got some big old arms and shoulders, but put you on a shallow one and rip on that thing. And they've probably never seen a shallow pounder in five foot of water. And I, I've done that back home. Um, I've done that in Minnesota. I mean, it's just everywhere I go, I do stuff like that. And it puts so many fish in my boat because I'm just doing things that no one else is doing. All right, Brad. So let's talk about this for a minute. You know, Chase is, uh, we'll, we'll say anti-moon phase, but not necessarily anti-moon phase. So he's just telling you to take it out of your uh, out of your mind or not make it as big a part of your day. I mean, that's I'm assuming that's still something that you're you're taking a peek at every day, aren't you? Well, I'll be honest. I mean, I, I don't have to look at, you know, if, if you look at fishing times, you know, it's an app that you can put on your phone. I don't have to look at it because honestly, I mean, it shows you right on your phone. All of a sudden I'll be getting texts, phone calls and humans definitely react to that whole thing. And so if I start getting a bunch of texts or I get a bunch of phone calls I can almost guarantee that there's some sort of a moon phase that are, it's affecting all of us. Um, I can watch in the behavior of the fishermen in the boat. And, and Chase is a really good one to watch because he might be, uh, we just got done trolling three days, right? We're trying to film, we're, we're, uh, we're gonna do an open water trolling deal. Chase is on the front deck, he's sleeping, he takes over driving for me. He lays back down and starts sleeping and all of a sudden he's up and he's digging through the boxes and he's changing baits and he's doing this and that. And I'm like, all right, the fish are going to go. And, and honestly, I mean, that's what it's about. Human behavior will show you that the, the peak times are during that same exact time as well. So I don't necessarily have to go look at a chart. I don't necessarily have to go look at that app. You can tell in your own behavior. You can tell in the people that are around you. You can tell in your pets. Chase has always said this, you know, in the three years that I've known Chase, it's pretty amazing. He'll say, when I feel like I got to go fishing, the fish are going. When I feel like I should just stay home and work, it's probably not going to happen on the water. And, and there's a lot of truth to that. Um, it, it's, it's hard for humans because we're so busy and we're so affected by family, um, this and that, work. I mean, it, it, we, we get affected. We're not necessarily in tune with nature. But if you really start paying attention, you'll find it really easily. It's, it's seriously insane, really. And, and not too many people talk about that. It's, we're 100% connected. I, I tell people that all the time. Same thing that Brad's saying. And I've noticed it for probably six years now. 
I mean, I used to be sitting in, in class in high school and I'm sitting there and I'm like, gosh, these fish are probably going right now. I, I just want to go fishing just so bad. And I would leave high school, go home, hook up the boat, and I would fish for an hour. An hour of daylight's all I had. And I'd drive 30 minutes to lake and 30 minutes back just to fish for that hour. And guess what? I caught fish on that, on that during that hour. More often than not. Uh, a super recent um, example of this is I drove up to Brad 16 and a half hours and that usually absolutely kills me. And I just want to like sleep for two days for whatever reason. And, um, I get up here next morning. I woke up and I was pretty lazy in the morning. And then I got up and somewhat sometime in the evening, I did not know why, but all of a sudden I just wanted to go fishing so bad. And I asked Brad, I'm like, you want to go fishing? And he was working and I didn't have my plastic yet. So I didn't have much to do. And I thought, you know what? I'm going fishing. So I hooked up the boat, ran to the lake. I got out there for literally like an hour and a half, two hours, and I caught a 45 and a 46 and seen probably five or six more. And I thought, wow, that's awesome. These things are chewing. And then a little bit later, I, it just, it kind of died. I wasn't seeing as many fish. I wasn't in a big mood. I was actually kind of wanting to go home. I was getting tired and uh, I didn't see another fish the rest of the night. It's just one of those things, it's just something to pay attention to, try to. If you want to go fishing bad, it's probably because the fish are eating. And for whatever reason, we're all connected like that. Brad uh, Brad said something this spring about a fish bone. He said I, he thinks that I have a fish bone in my body. I don't know what that means, but maybe. I got a few musky teeth in my knuckles, but I don't know. It's crazy, though, if you pay attention to it. Well, the old fish bone is when you see somebody bouncing their knee, they're hyper um you can look at your pets you got a dog he lays around for eight hours throughout the day and all of a sudden that dog wants to get up and he wants to play with the ball or he wants to go outside he wants to be inside wants to go up uh, back outside that's the fishbone and it's amazing to me i think as humans we get cluttered with all this crap we're so busy everybody out there that's listening to this podcast they're busy and it, it might be family, it might be work, like I said. I, I, there's so many different factors in a human's life. But if you watch animals, maybe it's cows in a field, maybe it's horses, whatever it might be, you can honestly see when those windows are going to happen. It might be a bunny on the side of the road. It might be deer in a field. Just pay attention. Those types, uh, those times throughout the day are going to tell you when those fish are going to react. They truly, truly do. I, I still say weather trumps all. If you're going to have weather moving in on top of you, get out there and start fishing. But when you have steady weather and uh, who cares about the moon, let's just watch the animals around you. Let's watch your phone and peak activity times. It's, it's definitely there. There's no question about it. John Alden Knight was perfectly on when he put together his soul lunar uh, tables. Uh, all right, we're getting towards the end of the episode. Typically, when we, we get towards the end of an episode, we'll give, uh, you know, guides an opportunity to talk about, you know, how people can get in touch with them. You know, uh, we'll start with Gavin. Gavin, uh, from what I understand, you're out there doing a little bit of guiding. If people want to learn more about your guide service and you and everything else, how do they go about getting in touch with you? Yeah, so my, my guide service is Falks Fishing Adventures. Easiest way to contact me is 715-820-2627. I do have a Facebook page as well. So those are two easy ways to contact me. As Jeff mentioned, this is my first year guidance, so I'm just trying to get into it. And I still have uh, 
the full-time gig at St. Croix. So I am doing uh, just part-time during the week and then weekends full-time. Um, so, yeah. I'm assuming that you're going to have them set up with a free St. Croix rod for every guide trip booked, right? That's how this works? If I could, I probably would. But <laughs> <laughs> You just say you would when they get in your boat. So, but I, I will have a full gamut of St. Croix in my boat for people to definitely try. I will guarantee you that. Probably some prototypes. Possibly. So that's where you get to see the good stuff, huh? Mm-hmm. You could. I love it. Yeah, but I don't like it when he catches more fish than me, but I like it when he brings his pretty rods. We definitely have a good time. I mean, that's that's the biggest point. And then uh, also uh, having the opportunity to create relationships with people and hopefully... Uh, teach them something new that maybe they haven't thought about before. All right. Well, and Chase, are you doing any guiding in Minnesota? Or are you just building bump boards and filming TV shows this summer? I'm doing the dumb things, building bump boards and filming TV shows. Guiding's uh, definitely knocked down on the priority list for me um, in the last two years, for sure. Probably not going to do any guiding in Minnesota. I doubt it. Um, just time-wise, it's just it's pretty hard to schedule anything. It's most of the like the guide trips I did in Ohio. All that stuff was last minute, and it was all with um, repeat guys that I've had quite, for a couple of years now. So, not really. Um, if you're interested in a guide trip, um, I'm not going to promise you anything, but you feel free to reach out. And I'll. Uh, but I'm be honest with you. I'm I'm brutally honest about telling you what what the deal is. I'll tell you. Yeah, probably not going to happen get a hold of me in three months and you might text me back in three months and I might say, no, I might say, yes. I just, at this point, I cannot write down dates in my date book because there's too much stuff that's coming up and I got to get in the shop or I got to do this or got to do that. So still like to guide as much as I can, but it's uh, getting slimmer and slimmer as I, uh, as I keep going into my new endeavor. So Chase, you know, not only are you not doing the guide service, but or not much of it, but you are doing the musky bumper thing, and if people want to get a musky bumper, where do they go about doing that? Um, you can get them straight from me on uh, muskybumper.com or at uh, any of the retailers. A lot of the major retailers in the musky industry do carry my boards. Um, I carry, I, I make a Fat Boy uh, musky bumper, which is probably the most popular. That is a 10-inch wide deck, and it's 60 inches long. They fold at 30. Um, there's the fat boy, the regular, the regular is an eight inch deck. Um, and then we also have one that's called a bump and go like Greg Thomas likes the bump and go. Um, the bump and go is left or right handed. So you don't need to worry about if you're left handed or you're right handed when you're buying the board. It's just, it's either, or you can flip it around, um, and do both hands. Um, I also make a walleye board. So anyone that uh, does some walleye fishing, I make a walleye board that is, 36 inches long folds at 18. So that is also a nice, a nice compact board for uh, walleye fishing. Those have became very popular this year. So any of those things, I also do some customs. If you want, uh, really, I can pretty much make about any size board that you want. Um, so just reach out muskybumper.com. You can send me a message through Shopify and I will answer you right away. So Chase, you're trying to tell me muskies don't care whether or not the musky bumper logo is upside down on this bump and go. Uh, they don't, no. I think that is just the fisherman. I, I, I advise the person that may think that the, the logo matters. I just advise them to close their eyes when they're measuring the fish. 
That's what I do. That's why the mine are a little bit bigger that way. Yeah, yeah, you got to do it by seal. So next year, I'm coming out with a textured board for blind fishermen, so we can have a braille board. Yeah, that sounds perfect. I think it'd be great. Maybe Team Rhino will have the first braille board. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, it's uh, late on a Friday night, so moving on. <laughs> <laughs> but if you want, uh, if you want the Muskie Mayhem Backlash boards, you go to Muskie Mayhem Tackle. If you want the Team Rhino boards, you go to Team Rhino Outdoors. Both have their own custom logos on the board, um, as do most of the retailers. But if you want, if you have like your own guide service or anything like that. Um, you can do a custom board on my website and I can make, I can put your logo on your board specifically. So that's another option that I have. Um, that's just the custom, you'll see it custom logo board on, uh, on the website there. How about you, Brad? You going to do any guiding yet this summer? Anybody you got open dates or is that not something you're looking to book either? I, it's hard to get my boat. Open dates are very, very uh, tight, and the reason they're tight is I have repeat clients that uh, generally uh, will book right as they're leaving their last trip. They're going to book for the following year, and I know that happens for Chase a lot as well. You know, it's one of them deals where my clientele have been with me a long, long time. Uh, I'm not going to say that I don't have an opening because there's times when I when I can potentially make that happen. But honestly, with the tackle business, with the TV show, I'm trying to help Chase with Musky Bumper and uh, commitments to different sponsors that we work with and so on and so forth. It, it really has gotten to be tight. But if people want to check out the, um, you know, crazy line of bucktails that you guys have, why don't you talk about where you can go about doing that? Yeah, absolutely, Jeff. I mean, I, I appreciate that. You know, Musky Mayhem Tackle, we've been out for 18 years. We're going on, I believe this is going to be our 19th year here in a couple of days. So pretty wild to think about. But uh, the originators of uh, big bladed Flashaboo baits, the first ones to the industry with Flashaboo, as well as the big blades. So we're very proud of that. But you can check us out at muskymayhemtackle.com. We totally appreciate all of the, uh, the consumers that help kind of make what we do a uh, reality. And without the consumer, we couldn't be who we are. So we truly, truly appreciate all the different patrons that actually purchase our, our baits. All right. And last but not least, we'll talk about Team Rhino Outdoors. If you're looking for some of the largest selection of musky gear available to you, check out TeamRhinoOutdoors.com. Much like Brad talked about, you know, thanking his customers. We can't thank all of our customers enough for shopping with us. Uh, June was a very great month for us, and we thank you all for shopping with us. And we hope that you uh, take that gear, put it to use in the coming months, and, you know, catch a personal best and send us some pictures on some stuff you've caught on, on products that we sell. And with that being said, I hope that all of our listeners, all of our United States listeners, had a great holiday weekend. We hope that uh, all of our listeners had some time on the water over this past week. And we'll see everybody again with a new episode next Wednesday. 